1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots
0: today. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as a February room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and in graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is The February Room.
2: Welcome to the February Room. Super excited to talk with my guest today about a quarry we haven't talked much about, which is muskies. And so uh, welcome to the show, author of Hunting Muskie with a Fly and Advanced Fly Fishing of Great Lake Steelhead and Reflections on the Water, Rick Kustich. Thank you for joining me today.
3: Hi, Lauren. Great to be here.
2: And I'm super excited because, like I said, we haven't talked about muskies, and I know that you have a lot of experience in that. But before we kind of talk about muskies, I'd love to hear a fishing story from you.
3: (laughs) Well, you know, I'll I'll start out with a fishing story that doesn't involve muskies, and maybe we can do one later that does. But uh, (laughs) you being in Montana, I just thought that this might be appropriate to kind of give you my connection to, to Montana and my connection to... know starting fly fishing at a very young age um when i was uh in college and i'd hate to even date myself uh, (laughs) this was uh early 80s um you know nobody has to do the math on that but uh uh, my brother lived in in idaho and he you know for a long time he he did live in twin bridges montana my brother jerry um actually uh, i i believe i met justin at his shop one time and uh uh Every year for while I was in college, Jerry was in Idaho and then he would come down to Montana and and to fish. And I would uh, come out to see him and and spend two to three weeks in Montana every year. But I did it by, back in those days, uh, you know, my finances were lean and uh, (laughs) I would do it by actually hopping on a bus from Buffalo, New York, all the way out to Montana every summer. And uh, I think I'm still traumatized by spending whatever it was 60 70 hours on a bus uh to to get out to Montana but um and the the bus would just kind of it would just take forever you would start you'd start the trip and it would seem like it would go for about 45 minutes or an hour and you're really cruising along and then you would stop and you'd stop at another bus station and the bus stations were always in you know seedy parts of town and dirty and hard to get a good meal and things like that so it was really uh, it, it was really quite an experience, but it it, uh, it allowed me to get out to Montana and, and, and have that uh, orientation to, to fishing out there. A lot of times we had to do or we normally do this trip in June, so that uh, you know June in Montana can, as you know, can be pretty cold. You never know what you're going to get. It can be summer one day, one you know, and, and pretty much winter the next. 100%. And we would, we would camp. I would meet up with my brother and we'd just have these great camping trips. We'd go from Big Hole to, to Madison to Rock Creek, Link Creek, you know, just kind of tour, tour Southwestern Montana and just do it by camping tents and you would camp in the back of his, you know, his little pickup. And, uh, I, I just remember this one night, this one night, you know, kind of lives, you know, lives in lore between my brother and I that, uh, this cold north wind was kinda of coming down. Um, this is back in a you know, a day and age when waders leaked. I mean, we were talking we we're talking rubber vinyl waders back in those days. <laughs> I mean, if they cracked, they leaked. Um, so we we had fished till dark and uh, it just was really getting cold. Cold north wind coming down. Just one of those that kinda of bites you to the bone. And uh, we hadn't eaten dinner yet, and it was dark, and we were both wet. We both had leaky waders. And, you know, Jerry was trying to cook. He had brought some. I think he had caught these, caught some fish, ice fishing earlier in, in the year in, in Idaho and had brought that along with us. for. And then we were going to eat that for that dinner that night. And he just couldn't get the, the – the wind was whipping through, like, the tailgate of his camper, and we just couldn't get that, the, anything to cook. Couldn't get the grill to heat up or the the skillet to heat up. The, the fish wouldn't wouldn't cook. We were just looking at it for it would just what seemed like about a half hour, forty five minutes, or just freeze in and, you know chilled to the bone. So eventually, we just said, ah, "That's enough's enough." We're just going to eat it. And we, we ate half raw fish that night for dinner before we go to bed. And the night has always been known as sushi night to my brother and I, and uh, it is the standard for. You know describing cold it's the that's the cold standard for us in our you know when we talk to each other so any night one or any night or day when you're outside and it's uncomfortable um, it's always compared to that night so a, a day is always it was colder than sushi night it was almost as cold as sushi night and we both <laughs> know exactly what we need what we what we mean.
2: how did it taste
3: uh you know at that point i think we were both so cold we just wanted some sustenance and, and just go to bed and try to warm up. So, uh, you know, it, it had been just, it, it got to the point where it was just a matter of, uh, you know, just having something that had some level of nutrition and the taste.
2: <laughs> Have you ever had any other days that were as cold, as miserable as sushi night?
3: Uh, there's been a couple. Yeah, there actually has been a, a couple <laughs> of times. So I've been out where it's been worse than sushi night, but not too many. I can tell you that much.
2: Well, I imagine with, uh, being a musky angler that you must have some encounters. Cause I always think of musky fishing and maybe it's because I have some roots in Northern Wisconsin and, um, Every time it was like musky fishing or going pike fishing, it was always kind of like these days that are cold and dreary and um, miserable. I don't know why I feel that way about musky fishing, but it's always had those experiences of being on the boat and it's been windy and it's been overcast. Um, I guess I'm just super excited to hear about your experience and um, with musky fishing. Can you tell me a little bit about your passion behind um, angling for this really special species?
3: Um, uh, I guess I, you know, I'll just tell you a little, just another little story about you know really my beginning, and I kind of write about this in the book. But yes. I, so I, I grew up um, actually on, on an island. It's a, it's in the Upper Niagara River. It's called Grand Island. And, you know, it's not it's not a small island, but it's still an island surrounded by water. Um, you have to go over a bridge to get to the mainland. So had water all around me. Every uh, really every male uh, influence in my life father grandfather uncle cousin brother you know all were fishermen so it was really just inevitable that I was you know, going <laughs> to take an interest in it even my mom I mean when when nobody else would take me fishing my mom would would you know at times take me down to the river to just to make sure I was able to enjoy myself during the summer times and do what Love I really it. had a passion for yeah so it was great That's, Great memories, but there was a fishing club on, on Grand Island it still exists actually to this day. It's one of the oldest uh, operating fishing clubs in, in North America, and uh, my uncle was a was a member there. And from time to time, he would he would he kept his boat there. He would take me out fishing you know, along with my cousin. And um, I remember walking in the, the club one time, and I just you know kind of barely remember this as a as a young kid, probably seven, eight years old, nine years old and there was a musky mount on on the wall and it, it probably was you know by today's standards probably wasn't huge but you know it was probably a good mid 40 inch fish and just to me at, at that age and not seeing a big fish ever like that live it was you know enormous to me and seeing those big you know that that mouth and you know a gape with with teeth protruding and whatnot and i think i i i was just shocked when i fully understood that those were swimming in the same river that we went swimming in, (laughs) and uh you know i I just immediately had a you know kind of a connection there with with that and uh um it was probably a few years later i was in my early teens before i actually caught a muskie and and that wasn't on a fly rod but then uh you know once i took up fly fishing and you know continued to fish in the river for bass and muskie you know that the fly fishing for muskie kind of intersected somewhere when I was, uh, you know, in my late 20s, so somewhere in the late 80s, early 90s, and um, you yeah, know, really it's been something that each year it's just been continuing to build. You know, my you know, my passion for it. It's, I, I think, the thing that I, you know, like and hate about it is it can be so difficult, it's, it's, it can be hard and demanding, and I think that's that's always. Been a driving force for really whatever species I've pursued in fly fishing. You know, if it gets too easy, then I really don't enjoy it as much. And uh, I really enjoy just the challenge and um, and just the mystique about muskie. Just you know the lore and you know it, it, how big they can get. It just is continues to to attract me and drive me. And I, I don't think you know they're they're difficult enough to catch on a fly that. Uh, it's hard to ever envision a time where you could get tired of it because, um, you know, it, it just keeps the challenge bar, you know, kind of at that level there. I just don't think that's you yeah, know really possible.
2: Honestly, they look like dinosaurs to me. I mean, they're such a ancient looking fish. I think they are super exciting. I mean, I guess, can you give me a little bit of detail? Cause I, I've I've read your blogs and the battle of catching a muskie. when you have a muskie on your line, can you tell it's the difference between like, Oh, this is a muskie as opposed to a pike because the way that it's fighting.
3: Yeah, I think I, I believe so. You know, I think, uh, you know, muskies have a, you know, just the ability to kind of really dig down and you kind of feel their weight and they're just, you really kind of point their head down a lot of times initially, and you can really just, like I said, kind of feel the substantial nature of the fish. Versus a pike, I you know I think they, they just seem to fight a little bit faster, quicker, have a little more of a tendency to run, run at you, and things of that nature.
2: And for some reason, I think that they're, they're harder to catch because I I you said that you hadn't caught a muskie until your teens, and I still haven't even caught a muskie, but I've caught numerous pike. So, I mean, do, do you feel like the muskie are a little bit smarter than a pike, or they're just not that know. many? Yeah,
3: they they definitely are, and, and you know, and I would I don't know if I'd say it as smarter, as they're not as aggressive. I think they're more careful, um, you know, to commit to to a bait, especially as they get older. Uh, you know, that's why. So, a couple of things, you know, I'll talk about a couple of things there, but with with the fight of a muskie, you know, a lot of times. I think people are surprised at uh, really how short a duration a fight with a muskie can be even a big, even a larger fish um, you know they're not really built for the you know marathon of a fight I mean they'll make their, they'll make their moves they'll try their repertoire of you know maybe some you know some short sharp runs some head shakes you know possibly even a jump um but it seems like you know once they kind of use their repertoire they you know tired fairly easy and you, you know you definitely want to land them as soon as you can so that you can get a successful release so while the fight with even a big fish doesn't always last real long i can tell you that it's you know when you, the amount of work that you put in to put yourself in position to hook a fish and then finally hook a fish that um the excitement of whatever that lasts a couple of minutes two three minutes is about as exciting as it gets you know in in my mind in fly fishing and that you know you you want to enjoy the fight yet at the same time you work so hard to get that hook up you want to get the fish in the net you know and enjoy kind of the conquest and um you know for that two or three minutes everything just hangs in the balance everything you've been working for and, you know, every twist and turn of that fish, you, you know, you, you kind of cringe as you just hope it, you know, it continues to be hooked. Um, it, you know, and then, the, you know, when it's over, it's just this, you know, incredible feeling of uh, accomplishment and at the same time, you know, relief that, uh, you know, you're able to kind of hold on to it throughout the entire fight. So, it, you know, it's, I think that's what really makes you even at this point, when I hook a big fish... I'll feel my knees knocking a little bit. It's
0: just <laughs> FlyLab Reels provide silky smooth disc drags at a click and fall price. Paired with mid arbor Spool for quick line retrieval, the FlyLab family of fishing reels is the best value on the river. With four models to choose from, priced from $99 to $249, you won't find these reels anywhere other than the local CD dealer or at cd-fishing.us. And remember to go fishing.
2: Have you ever spent time over at the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame Museum in Hayward, Wisconsin?
3: I did go through there, yes, once. I, I was up uh, in Hayward. I've been been up in that area, I think, three times, and I'm planning to go there again next September. But I, I feel like
2: go- you sent me some pictures, and I'm like, you have got to be in the books. Yeah. Have you submitted any of your work out there? Because I'm like, I've seen some pictures because they have, like, this huge book of, like, people with all their catches and the pictures that you have sent me and the pictures I've seen, I am like, how is he, you must be in the Hayward hall of fame.
3: You know, I haven't, I haven't, maybe the next time I'm up there, I'll, I'll try to do that. I, I did early on. I had one of my muskies in the IGFA record books, you know, for a catcher of all these fish, but I just haven't really tried hard enough with, with some of the others, but I should do that.
2: Oh, absolutely. I can promise you. You Okay. The next time you go there, there's like a book of all these people who've caught fish, I mean, tons of like white, like white fish and mm-hmm. half the pictures are people with just a beer in a hand and their fish. So I mean, <laughs> some people obviously take it, uh, not so much so seriously. Um, but it's also, that place is so great. And, um, it's also really fun. Cause they have like, a uh, the musky capital of Hayward, Wisconsin, yeah. the musky capital yeah. of the year. Actually, if you go through Spooner, I think you go through a bridge and it says, Spooner sucks And then if you go back It says Hayward blows It's anyways (laughs) That's a really good It's a great community Um, But also I mean Other than just musky fishing You've also written a book About the Great Lakes Steelhead And honestly This isn't a subject I know very much about But I was hoping That you can explain About the Steelhead um, In the Great Lakes And kind of talk about The wild Steelhead Versus hatchery
3: Sure Yeah sure Uh, You know so the steelhead fishing is something I've done also, you know, most of my, or all of my adult adult life. Um, I was fortunate for that fishery to really kind of be on a rise right at the same time that, um, I was really taking an interest in fly fishing. So it was a a perfect intersection as well. And it's provided me all, you know, a lot of, uh, over the years, a lot of enjoyment. Um, you know, I've guided for steelhead, um, at a fly shop for 10 years that, um, catered mainly to, you know, the steelhead fishery. Um, so, you know, it's something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, I, I there's always been some debate and I don't even, won't even try to, to start the debate, but, uh, you know, <laughs> some debate whether, you know, is that a true steelhead because they're in the you know freshwater of the great lakes versus going from saltwater to, to freshwater. And, you know, I, in my mind and, you know, in the, the definitions that I've heard from, uh, various biologists is that a a steelhead is just a migratory rainbow trout. And in in this case, in the Great Lakes, it does migrate out of the rivers into the into one of the the lakes and comes back when it's sexually mature, just like a a native fish would on the West Coast. So, you know, they they they've garnered and they and the fish that are here in the Great Lakes, they're not native, uh, but they were uh, originated from uh, steelhead stock out of you know from California and from Washington and so you know, they have a steelhead or origin so uh, you know they're they're referred to as steelhead and I you know I think we have a really interesting and significant fishery based on that um, they actually in, in the history of steelhead in the Great Lakes really dates back a lot further than you know, most people realize but uh, the first the first stocks were brought to the Great Lakes and Like 1875 uh, by railroad car, uh, and were planted in the Great Lakes. And by the end of the uh, uh, 19th century, there was natural reproduction of steelhead in all five of the Great Lakes. You know, by that time, and that that kind of existed through the uh, the the early part of the 1900s. And then in 1970, there was here in the 1970s. Early eighties, you know, when the when the Great Lakes kind of had taken a, a real dive, um, there was an increase in stocking programs that really more widely distributed the, the steelhead throughout the Great Lakes. But there are a number of rivers, particularly more more concentrated in Ontario, Michigan, um, some in Wisconsin, you know, to a to a smaller degree here in New York State, that have natural reproduction, and um, you know, there are rivers that are sustained entirely wild steelhead. Um, And then there are others that really don't have the water quality, Uh, just groundwater, too much, you know, not enough groundwater influence um, don't stay, their tributaries don't stay cool enough during the the summertime to uh, support wild fish that where, you know, hatchery programs have created a a good fishery there. So, you know, just like anywhere, you know, we would like to see more emphasis on, um, you know, wild fish development and a little less Reliance on on hatcheries, you know more you know more con- conservation with respect to uh, you know kill limits and things of that nature. But you know I think there's probably as, as solid of wild populations in the Great Lakes now as you know possibly there has been in, in the
2: past. I did see that you have was it your video um, that I was just watching um, spay days. Yes. What an interesting! That is so well shot. I mean, and what a great storyline and uh, videography. Um, what? How did that come about?
3: It is. It really. Is. If anybody is interested in really seeing, I think what the history of the Great Lakes, what the Great Lakes offers in terms of you know the size and challenge of the rivers, I think it really you know portrays that very well. Yes. Um, so that is a film made by Robert Thompson. He's probably done five or six different films, um, and you know he does a very good job. Obviously, um, that was I think devised one night at the uh, fly fishing show in Michigan. You know, over a couple of beers, we decided we <laughs> going to go out and shoot a shoot a steelhead s- steelhead movie. And uh, sure enough, well, so that was probably in the spring. I guess probably that fall we actually got started on it. Incorporated a, a number of other anglers throughout the Great Lakes you know to cover a uh, wider wider geographic area. And um, yeah, it was it, it really was good. I mean we probably take, filmed that over the course of probably a couple of falls, a couple of springs, you know, throughout those winters. Um you know, steelhead are uh, a little bit camera shy, so <laughs> certainly takes so. uh Certainly takes a little uh, extra to to get some on film. I, I remember throughout the entire uh, filming, Robert, we call him uh kept on saying, "The next film I'm going to do is going to be a bluegill film, something where you guys can catch some fish." <sighs> <sighs> so, uh, I love
2: I love catching perch. <laughs> yeah. Those things, I, you put some cheese on the end of a hook, and you can catch one. <laughs> right?
3: Yeah yeah but we did we got enough uh we, you know we, we did get enough uh, really nice steelhead and uh during the filming to really show what the fishery is all about um it, it it you know it's the type of thing where it, i i approach fishing in the steel you know, steelhead in the great lakes very similarly to how i approach it out west i go to british columbia pretty much I, I wouldn't say every year but two out of three years and um there you know there's very little difference in the uh Lies, techniques, you know, even equipment that I use in the Great Lakes versus, you know, you know I think that comes as a surprise to, to some anglers that haven't fished the Great Lakes before.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, is there any like similar way that you approach steelhead and musky fishing or are they, do you have to go with a totally different mindset when you're going to be going fishing for either species?
3: Well, I think, you know, clearly that, the, you know, the techniques are entirely different um, from swinging a fly for steelhead versus, you know, stripping and retrieving a fly for musk. Yep. Um, but I do think there are some similarities in the mindset, you know, with, with respect to persistence, kind of never say die and, you know, fishing right to the end. I, I think those things travel well to both, both species of fish, for sure.
2: So say you're going to take me some... Awesome musky fishing, whether it's in Buffalo, New York, where you're living. Um, What is the best, uh, like, what is your best day of fishing? Like, what is, what would that look like? Conditions and weather or moon phases? Is there, do those all come to play?
3: Uh, They do. Actually, they they very much do. Um, You know, I I think you you hit a little bit bit on the head before when you were talking about, um, you know, the weather, dreary and overcast. I mean, I think... Anybody, when you're fishing for a predator, kind of likes those conditions. It just seems to make a fish a little bit more, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, musky, brown trout. Um, you know, really any predator, they just feel a little more comfortable when, they are, when there's not bright sunshine, when it's darker. So certainly I, I love those kind of days where it's overcast. You know, light winds, <laughs> you know, light, uh, you know, maybe moderate winds, you know, chop up the water just a little bit, but not so much that it... Uh, that it that it uh, makes it difficult from line management or casting, but it, you know they, you mentioned moon phase. The moon phase. Um, what I what I really look you know at too is the uh, the the moon rise and the moon set on a daily basis. Um, what I've really you know noticed that uh, there can be a really a, a good increase in activity you know when, during the day when you have a moon rise or a moon set, and if you can combine that moon rise and a moon set with a sunrise or a sunset that really seems to be a you know money for uh, uh, having increased activity
2: and what what do you like to throw at the muskies like what's your go-to fly do you find one in particular that maybe color or uh, size that seems to work because I remember Justin went to go fishing, and he he tied his own flies, and he goes out there and shows everybody, and they're like, "No way, dude! You need to make those so much bigger." And he's like, "Oh,
3: <laughs> yeah, I, you know." Generally, I would say that most of my flies are in the ten to maybe twelve inch range. um yeah so they're tied out of (laughs) usually tied with shanks i like to i like to use two hooks two single hooks you know one more towards the front of the fly and then one more towards the rear um i do find where you know when i hook fish sometimes they are hooked on the front sometimes they're hooked on the rear you know it seems to really depend on uh you know the angle that that fish takes the fly um a lot of anglers though just go with one single hook someone buried in the middle and I think you know generally that that works uh, pretty well as well but I think you know either using you know two hooks and and um you know combining them with wire or I think you know the real popular way to tie flies now are, are using a series of shanks and that you know that provides the length to the fly um, most of mine are they're tied out of bucktail or, or other synthetics uh, and really kind of more of a line of you know um, my I guess my favorite kind of pattern right now at least for muskie is, is in line with plain chocolates uh, game changer type fly um, where it's just a you know series of bucktail that's tied back um, you know shorter at the at the rear, wide, thicker and um, longer at, at the head. Uh, I try to tie my fly so that there's um, you know a, a top color and a bottom color. I think that looks you know, very natural like a bait fish.
2: Do you ever get nervous removing the hook out of their mouth? Because, you know, like how you said they kind of look like dinosaurs. I remember even being in the water and swimming and thinking that my toes were going to get bitten off by a muskie. Have you ever had any experiences where they bite your feet Well, <laughs> their, their yeah, finger? Yeah, you
3: do need to be super careful. And, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 care, I try to carry all the, the proper tools. Um, I do have yeah. a, you know, a, um, a pair of pliers with a super long neck to them so that I can get in there and get the, you know, get the hook out of there and, and still at the same time keep my uh, hand fairly far away from the fish. Um, sometimes I'll, if, I, if it's a sticky situation where, you, you know, I got to get in there a little bit more, I might put a glove on for a little more protection. Um, but, yeah, you definitely have to be very careful. I and mean, you have to be careful getting the hook out and also just being careful with how you're handling the fish while you're doing that. I mean, I think that's just as important. I mean, we want to release every yeah. fish, make sure that we feel good about the release yeah, that it's a strong release. So, you know, making sure that you, you do this in a way that's as you know, going to create as little damage as possible is uh you know very important.
2: That's a lot of work because seriously those teeth are terrifying. I mean, I think that if I caught one, I would probably need someone to help assist because and they're and they're moving and you're like, okay, I have like these sharp daggers that are pointing towards me I'm trying to hold the fish remove the hook that takes a lot of skills (laughs) absolutely there's a good thing there's a book out there that you should be reading to to make sure you know what you're doing before you get into this into this specific sport Um, which is I'm curious like kind of like what brought you into like writing about um, how to fly fish for muskie like what what brought you to kind of get get on the computer and be like, you know what, this is going to be something we need to talk about and write about.
3: Well, you know, um, so this is the that, that, the musky book is my sick, actually my sixth book that I've written. So I, you know, yeah. writing, yeah, writing all along. And, um, so I'm always looking for, you know, some topics that are kind of, I guess, out in front of, um, you know, a common topic, something that's, you know, kind of on the edge, and uh, there had been one one book written on Muskie to this point, but I think it had been out for maybe six, seven, eight years. Um, and I had talked to Jay Nichols at Stackpole, you know, the editor at Stackpole, about doing a Muskie book probably back in maybe 2012, 2013, or no, probably, no, uh, let me take that back, probably about 2010. And um, at the time, he wasn't interested, he didn't think there was a you know large enough net, um, wasn't wasn't enough people musky fly fishing so you know time went by and uh, I had just finished that steelhead book that he published as well and I just completed that and I saw him at a fly fishing show and he sat down and he goes he still got that you know that outline for that musky book (laughs) I think there's enough people out there now to you know that, that that it's time so that's really what gave me the impetus to do it and I you know the timing was really really good i think uh, there's been a just a tremendous increase in the number of people musky fishing yeah uh, you know, with the fly rod in, in recent years
2: oh i love it i think that's i mean honestly i don't think there is a musk. is there a musky book for fly fishing though Out yeah there? so oh,
3: this, there is. yeah so the yeah, mine is just all you know all on fly fishing there was one other one that was uh um just fly fishing prior to that and I think there's oh. uh, another, another re- one that just, that just did come out actually.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, good to know. Well, I, but this is the book that should be, you should be reading cause you have all the experience for the musky fish, fly fishing, uh, which I would love to hear a fly fishing musky story if you have one up your
3: sleeve. Um, you know, I think, you know, I was thinking about a few different <laughs> things, but it, you know, I think one that, uh, you know, just a short story that kind of sticks with me is, uh, you know, with musky fishing, it's just so much of it is, you know, spending a lot of time in a boat, generally not catching fish. Um, and it's, you know, it's about the fishing and about, uh, you know, camaraderie. I think that's just such an important part of uh, flying. As much as I enjoy fishing by myself and can spend an entire day by myself and <laughs> not talk to anybody and, and thoroughly enjoy it. Musky fishing, I think, is one of those, you know, sports and fly fishing for musky that, you share it with someone else that has the exact same passion as you do, it, uh, you know, it does enhance the experience. And, you know, I think that person needs to be uh, part coach, um, you know, part psychoanalyst, you know, when, when, when you're uh, really get down, uh, you know, start part cheerle- cheerleader because, uh, I mean, it, it, there is just such ebbs and flows in the emotions of, of musky fishing. And, you know, so often it's it's about somebody just kind of, helping you to push on through the, through the tough times. And, yes. um, yeah, so I, you know, I, I fished quite a bit with a, with a friend of mine, Nick Pionessa, who, um, you know, did the photography in that book and or a lot of the photography the fly photography and a lot of the other shots. And, um, you know, we just have a really good working relationship. We're very happy for each other when we get a fish and I, you know, I think we're, we, we feel as though we're on a team and, you know, every fish in the boat is a, a team, kind of a team effort. And, uh, so one, one day we were, you know, fishing, uh, just the, kind of the ultimate team effort one day, um, a couple of years ago, we were fishing in the Niagara and I had this really nice musky come in in, in uh, so often they follow your fly to the boat, you know, and the same thing. And even in conventional gear fishing, they, they're like we talked about earlier, you know, they're just more curious than, than a pike. They're just not, they don't make, they don't have that trigger finger as much as a, just as much as a pike does. So uh, you know, it's very common for them to follow in. It's also very common to try to get those fish to eat right at the boat by you know maneuvering either an oval or a figure eight movement with the fly. And really, again, you know, I talked about the excitement of you know landing a muskie, hooking a muskie, a big muskie right next to the boat. You know, it's about as exciting as it gets, um, you know, from, from an action standpoint. So I had this big fish follow me in, just kind of wandering in. I get it down to. It gets, gets, you know, I, I get my fly all the way in. I start in the figure eight and it, it shows some interest, follows my figure eight a couple of times and then just uh, kind of fades off and just it wasn't interested enough, wasn't convinced. But Nick <sighs> was stripping his fly in at the exact same time and uh, it kind of went over and, 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 and started kind of going in next direction. So he starts figure eighting the, the fly. And uh, all of a sudden, the fish kind of gets interested in his fly and starts tracking his fly and tracked it around a couple of times and ended up eating it. And uh, <laughs> you yeah, Nick ended up hooking the fish, and uh, it was really, it was really kind of neat. And we ended up landing; it was a really, really nice musky.
2: In oh, I was going to say, was it a nice musky?
3: Yeah, it was in the mid forty-inch range. And you know, again, just just really felt like you know we had we had conquered that as a team. <laughs> that was the first time I've ever seen that. Where a, where a fish, I've seen it before, where a fish has moved away and then you make another cast of that fish, or the other angler makes a cast of that fish and has caught it. That was the first time I've ever seen one <laughs> snub a fly on the figure eight next to the boat and then go and <laughs> eat my buddy's fly. So his obviously looked a lot better than mine did on that day.
2: (laughs) That Seriously, that story kind of reminds me of like bird hunting, like when your dog honors the other, you know, like they kind of work together. So it's like you guys are both in the water working together to kind of navigate. I love that. That is so amazing. So, Rick, if people are wanting to reach out to you, maybe they have some questions about uh, muskie fishing or ways for them to reach out and buy your book. What's the best the best method
3: you know I do have my website is and I hopefully going to be redoing my website pretty soon but it's uh, just Rick Custage um, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook just under Rick Custage so you know it's easy easy to reach me you know follow me reach me uh, you know, by messenger or more, more than happy to answer any questions or uh, you know, contact with anybody that uh, wants any additional information